Our lesson today is in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. These are the same verses that we were in uh, last week, so we may not have the screen. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I would encourage you to, uh, to open them and follow along with these verses. The title of our lesson is A Call to Holiness. Hey, we got it. There we go. Thank you all. A Call to Holiness. This is part two from last week. So let's go ahead and read our verses, <clears throat> and then we'll jump in. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, for those of you that weren't here last week, I would encourage you to listen to the podcast where we we talked about a lot of this. But just for a quick review, the word holiness has to do with separation. If I, if I just said the word holy and asked you to define it, most people think it has to do with being good, not doing certain things. A holy person doesn't do this and doesn't do that. But the word itself has to do with, it comes from the root word to cut. Uh, it has to do with separation or being set apart. When something is, is holy, it is separated from what is common, undefiled, unclean, evil, things like that. It's separated from that, and it's separated to God. Now, God is holy in that He is set apart. In other words, there is no one and no thing like Him. 1 Samuel 2, 2 says this, There is none holy like the Lord. There is nobody like Him. In fact, He's so far above us. He's just nothing like a man, nothing like anything in our experience. That's what makes Him set apart, and that's what makes Him Holy. Now, we said last week that any discussion of personal holiness has to begin with the holiness of God. And that's what we covered in part one. Peter says it in these scriptures. As he who called you is holy, you be holy. For it is written, be holy for I am holy. That, that our holiness is predicated or built on the holiness of, of God. We don't even start talking about our own holiness until we understand his holiness. And we covered that last week. And by the way, the holiness we are called to is like God's holiness. We are to be different. We are to be set apart. We are to be unlike our culture, unlike those around us. So the holiness of God is our pattern and it is our basis or it is the grounds for our holiness. Now today, we're going to talk about personal holiness. We've moved past the holiness of God and we're going to talk about you and I being Holy, And I'm going to talk about the why we are to be holy and the how we are to be holy. So the first thing is why. Now this is real simple, and let's just get it right out of the way. Why are we to be holy? Because God tells us to. It's that simple. There's no reason digging any deeper. God commands. He says it, you be holy because I'm holy. If you are my children, if I've called you, then you be holy like me. So that's, that's all the reason we need. God commands it. To do anything other than to try our best to be holy would be disobedient to God. There's no reason to dig any further or mine any further on that subject. We just need to obey what God tells us to do. Now, here's the big question. How are we to do it? How are you and I in this culture, in this world, how are we to be holy? Now, I'm going to put a pause on that question. And I'm going to come back to it at, at the end. But I need to talk about something first. I want to walk back and I want to look at the history of holiness 
in the Bible. And we're going to learn something from this, I think, that tells us how to be holy. Let's go all the way back in the Bible to the law of Moses. Now, last week we talked about this. We all know how Charlton Heston led the Israelites out of Egypt, right? And, they, and brought them to the, to the promised land. And so he gets them out of the promised land. And for those of you that are younger than probably 50, you got no idea who Charlton Heston even is. But he played Moses in a movie. Let's move on from that. Anyway, so once the Israelites come out of Egypt, God brings them to a place called Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, God gives them laws to govern their conduct. Now, if I ask you, what laws do you think sets the Israelites apart from other peoples, other nations, other groups? What would you say? I know my first answer to that question would be, well, it's the Ten Commandments, right? God gives them the Ten Commandments. But surprisingly, that's not it. In fact, if you look at the Ten Commandments, there is no requirement of personal holiness in those Ten Commandments. The word holy is used to do with the Sabbath, but there's no real requirement for holiness in the Ten Commandments. You would have thought one of the Ten Commandments would be, be holy, but it's not. In in fact, here's the thing. The command, be holy, is found several times in in the Law of Moses. But it's never found in Exodus 20, which is where the Ten Commandments are, and Deuteronomy 5, which is where the Ten Commandments are. You can go list, go read those two chapters, and you'll never find a command for, for God's people to be holy. Instead, surprisingly, this command is found four times in the Law of Moses, and all four times it's found in the book of Leviticus. Now, if there's one book that I would guess that people in this room read the least in the whole Bible, it's the book of Leviticus. In other words, it it is the part of the law, it's the part of the Bible that most of us see as the least applicable and the least relevant of all the Bible. Agreed? I mean, go read it, right? There's there's rules in there for all kind of different things, and, and we think, well, that's got nothing to do with us. But the command to be holy is found in that book four times. Now, that part of the law is what's known as a ceremonial law. And yet it's that part of the law that, that says, you be holy because I'm holy. Now, why would that be so? Why would God put the requirement to be holy in the ceremonial law, and let's say not in the Ten Commandments? Well, consider this as a possible explanation. Okay? As great as the Ten Commandments are, And as wonderful as the Ten Commandments are, and as awesome as they are, they did not set the Israelites apart from surrounding nations. By the way, the Ten Commandments don't set you and I apart from unbelievers. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. If you go back in history and you study uh, the, the, uh, the Babylonians had something called the Hammurabi Code, which was a set of laws around the same time as the Ten Commandments. You see, the fact is virtually every... If I just went to Winn-Dixie and I just found somebody this morning that's not in church and I said, hey, what do you think about not stealing, not lying, not committing adultery and not murder? And they'd say, I'm all for that. Right? Even unbelievers agree with that. So the fact is the Ten Commandments really don't set a Christian apart from a non-Christian. Almost all cultures, all nations agree that the things in the Ten Commandments are a good set of laws to to live by. So there's really no differentiator in those laws. But see, God's people 
have always been called to be different. That was true in the Old Testament, and that's true in the, in the New Testament. For example, Matthew 5, listen to this. Jesus said, if you love those who, who love you, what reward will you get? Don't even the tax collectors do that? He says, if you greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? See, the fact is, there are certain behaviors that whether you're an Israelite or whether you're a Babylonian or whether you're an Assyrian or whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, we all kind of agree that there's certain valid behaviors that you should do and should not do. The Ten Commandments obviously list many of those. So it's, that's not a differentiator. Everybody, everybody with me on that? So what was it that made this people, this, these people called the Israelites, so different from the nations around them? What was it that set her apart or made her holy well, it turned out it was her obedience to those ceremonial laws that, that just made her completely different from anybody around her. Now, let's talk a little bit about Leviticus, this strange book in the, in the Old Testament. If you go back and read Leviticus, it's got laws in there that cover pretty much everything you could ever run across. It, it, it's got laws covering the birth of a child. It's got laws covering sexual practices. It's got laws covering witchcraft, sickness, uh, things like leprosy. It just goes on and on and on, covering all these different kind of things. But most of us, when we think about Leviticus, we think about the laws concerning foods and animals, right? It's got these really weird laws. You could, there were certain animals that God says, these animals are clean, you can eat them. But these animals over here are unclean. You cannot touch them. Don't eat them or you're unclean, right? And it's, it's really arbitrary. I'll give you an example. Leviticus eleven forty one to 44. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms, and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Right there. Don't eat lizards. Don't eat centipedes. Don't eat these things. Be holy. Right? I mean, really? It's just this odd thing here, right? But it was, it was the obedience to these little things, to these distinction set down in Leviticus, that's what set Israel apart. That's what made her holy. And by the way, the whole theme, if you go read Leviticus, the whole theme is separation. For example, Leviticus 18, 3 through 5, you shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan where I'm taking you. You shall not walk in their rules or their laws or their statutes, You'll follow my rules and keep my statues and walk in them, for I am the Lord your, your God. So it was these, these little rules, these little things that we don't even take into account today. And there's a reason for that, and we'll see that later. But that's what set them apart, not the Ten Commandments. So let me say a couple things before we move out of Leviticus. I want to talk about clean versus unclean. If you get in there and there's these clean animals and unclean animals, and, and they're really weird. For example, beef. You could eat a cow, but you couldn't eat a pig. Beef is clean, pork is unclean. You can eat flounder, but you can't eat a catfish. You could eat a flounder because it has scales. You couldn't eat anything that didn't have scales. Shrimp, off the menu, right? We'd die today. What would we do if we had to go by Leviticus, right? We've got to have catfish and shrimp and all those things. But in Le the Israelites could not 
eat those things. Now, by the way, a lot of people over the years have tried to come up with all these reasons why. In fact, I just read one the other day. They said, for example, they say that fish that don't have scales can't get rid of toxins and they have, they have higher uh, 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 traces of mercury in their system. God knew that, and that's why he set them to be unclean. Let me tell you, put all that out of your mind. The reason they were unclean is one reason and one reason only, because God said so. And by the way, I will prove that later in this lesson. The reason they were unclean and the reason they were clean is because God said it. That's it. That's the only reason. And like I said, I'll prove that a little bit later. Now, one more thing before we leave Leviticus that I don't want you to miss. Leviticus always was meant to teach an important lesson about holiness. Look at Leviticus 10 through 11. It says, Whatever is in the seas and in the rivers that does not have fins and scales among all the teeming life of the water and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you, and they shall be abhorrent to you. You may not eat of their flesh, and their carcasses you shall detest. Now, I want you to notice something there. It was never enough for the Israelites to not just do something. That's just the outside. That wasn't the point of Leviticus. God says, you need to come to your place in your life where you hate what I hate. You detest what I detest. You loathe what I loathe. In other words, holiness wasn't supposed to be about just the hands, the outside. It was supposed to be about the inside. You come to hate what I hate. You love what I love. That was always in Leviticus. Okay, Now... Let's move down through the years and through the centuries, and finally we come to first century Palestine. And there is a group of, of Jews there who had messed everything up. It had all gone wrong. You've got this Old Testament where holiness is taught over and over and over again. And by the time you get to the Pharisees, when Jesus comes along, they messed it, so up, messed it up so bad, you couldn't even tell what holiness was. In fact, Jesus comes along and he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. By the way, mint and dill and cumin were herbs that grew in their herb garden. And he said they were so particular about the rules, they would go into their herb garden and they would clip off 10% of, uh, of, the, of the dill. And they would, tick, they would clip off 10 I mean, that's how particular they were about following the rules, but watch what he said. But you forgot the big things. You forgot things like justice and mercy and faithfulness and love and forgiveness. You see, for them, it was all about the outside. It never got on the inside. That was their problem. That's how they messed it up. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Peter, whose book we are reading, whose letter we are going through, he, everything I just told you, he knew all that. He grew up going to the synagogue. He would, he would have had all these rules pounded into him since he was a little boy. And he lived around the Pharisees. He would, by the way, the Pharisees, if y'all don't know this, they'd go down the street and they'd see a beggar and they'd have a guy with them and he'd blow a trumpet. So everybody would look and watch as they gave to the beggar. Peter saw that. He saw that. That's holiness. That's what righteousness is supposed to, to look like. But that's the environment he grew up in until one day he met a man. See, into this environment of this distorted view of holiness, Jesus walks in. And Jesus' definition of holiness is always this bone of contention between him and the religious leaders. 
They've got all these rules. And by the way, the Pharisees were like a lot of us. If a hundred rules is good, a thousand rules must be better. They just kept adding rules upon rules and laws upon laws, and, and just it just got out of control. And Jesus comes in, and he's, he's always saying things that would just, I mean, it just it drove them insane. For example, he literally shocked people with statements like this, Matthew 5, 20, I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you're not going to heaven. I mean, people, are, what? I mean, who can be holier than them? Who can be better than them? They follow all the rules. He says, you better be better than them, because if you're not, you ain't going nowhere. I mean, just shocked people with that. He, he, he constantly warned about a religion that's outside and not inside. By the way, he could preach this message today to churches all over America. A lot of people following rules, but it ain't in their heart. Jesus said, don't, don't, if you go around practicing your religion just so people pat you on the back, that's all the rewards you're ever going to get. That's Matthew 6. It's got to be in the heart. It's got to be on the on the inside, always saying stuff like this, just driving the Pharisees crazy. Now, Mark's gospel describes an incident that happens one day. And this incident was just going to completely blow up the Pharisees' notion of holiness. And here's the interesting thing. Peter is there. Peter is literally there on that day. And he sees this and, and hears this. Mark chapter 7. I'll read, we'll walk through this. It says, Now the Pharisees saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. In other words, they were unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and vessels and couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples... They were basically walking through a cornfield and they were picking some corn and eating. And he says, why are, why are they eating without washing their hands? Now, by the way, this is not your mother's hand washing. Right? You know how your mama's always telling you to wash your hands before you eat? That's not what this is talking about. This is a ceremonial thing where you have to do it a certain way. You have to, like, wash this hand seven times and then wash this hand seven times and then bow. I don't know what all they did, but it was this ceremonial thing. By the way, this wasn't recall, required by the law of Moses. You can't find this anywhere in, in Leviticus. See, this was their problem. They had piled their own rules on top of God's. And they just kept building their own rules and their own rules. And by the way, they actually they looked at their rules to be a higher form of truth than the law of God. They just ignored the law of God and just stuck to their own rules. And they thought they were, they were holy. It moves on, Mark 7 Six two seven, And Jesus said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you bunch of hypocrites? As it is written, these, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. By the way, he is quoting Isaiah 29.13. This is Isaiah 29.13. Therefore the Lord said, These people draw near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is but rules taught by men. They just follow the rules, and they think they're worshiping God. They think they're believers. They think they're going to heaven, and they are so far away from God, they got no clue. They're not going anywhere. And that's what Jesus said. He goes on, Mark 
7, 14 to 20. And he called the people to him again and said, I want you to listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that are come out of a person is what defiles them. Okay, that's his saying. He just he said this to everybody. You, you cannot be made unclean. You cannot be made unholy. You cannot be made defiled by anything that goes in you from the outside. That's not what defiles you. What defiles you is what's in your heart, what's on the inside. So then he leaves the people. He goes inside, and his disciples said, Man, what does that even mean? Tell, tell, explain that to us. He said, Don't you understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside can't defile him? since it enters not his heart but his stomach and then is then expelled. And then he says this, Thus he declared all foods clean. Thus he declared all foods clean. All those rules in Leviticus about catfish and shrimp and flounders and groupers, he said, I'm declaring all foods clean. Now let me tell you, I can tell you for a fact, Peter, who was in that house, had no clue what he was talking about. Didn't, didn't get it, did not understand it. In fact, it's going to take more years and more revelation for Peter to finally get what Jesus is talking about. Now let's move a little further down. Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected, buried and resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. We're now in the book of Acts. And Peter meets a man named Cornelius. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Cornelius was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew, but he was a good man. He prayed every day to God. He, he gave alms to poor people. He was a rich man. He, gave, he, gave, uh, he always gave his money away, supported the poor. And one day an angel came to him and said, Cornelius, God has seen your prayers and he's seen what you do for the poor people. Here's what you need to do. Send some men from Caesarea over to a town named Joppa. Go to the house of a man named Simon the Tanner. In that house is going to be a man named Peter. Go find that man, bring him to you, and he'll tell you what you need to do. Acts 10, we pick up the story. So those men go to this town. It says, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about noon to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet uh, descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kind of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, No way. I ain't no way, Lord. I have never eaten anything unclean. By the way, did he get what Jesus said those years before? No. Didn't understand it. So here he is years later in this house. He's still not eating unclean. He, he, will, he has to follow the rules. And the angel says, Hey, rise and eat. Or the Lord says, Rise and eat. Peter says, no way, I've never done that. I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, don't you dare call common. See, here he is. He's never done anything like that. He doesn't plan on starting now. And God's answer is, I said it's clean. I said it's clean. Don't, don't think about them that way anymore. By the way, why were animals unclean and clean in Leviticus? Because God said so. Why are they clean now? Because God said so. Don't worry about looking for other explanations. It's because God said so. Now they're clean. Why? Because God said so. This happened three times and the thing was taken up into heaven. Now Peter, here he is, he's inwardly perplexed. He's still, 
he could be thick-headed, right? He's just told him, he's, he's already been with Jesus. Jesus declared all foods clean. Now he gets this vision. God said all these are clean. And he's inwardly perplexed. Hmm, what, what could this mean? So here he is, he's thinking about it. And while he's thinking about it, the men show up at the front door. And they knock on the door and they say, hey, you got a man here by the name of, of Peter. And, um, and so while Peter is pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. I want you to rise up, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And so they have a one-day journey. So they, go, they leave Joppa, they go down to Caesarea, and they get there, and Cornelius is expecting them. By the way, he's got a house full. He's invited all his friends, all his relatives, all his co-workers. He's like, man, this guy's coming. He's all fired up. He's in the house. And Peter comes in, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with anyone of another nation. By the way, see, he, he could not go into a Gentile's house, a non-Jew. That would make him unclean. But somewhere on that journey between uh, Joppa and Caesarea, he figured it out. The light went on. Oh, I know what he's saying. Look what he says. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So somewhere on that day's journey, he, he, he figures it out. He gets the significance of this vision. See, he finally understands that the coming of Jesus Christ changed everything. By the way, the definition of holiness doesn't change. We are still to be set apart. We are still to be different. What changed was the basis of our holiness. See, now we're no longer clean by following the rules. We're no longer clean by being born into a certain family or a certain race. We're clean because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We're clean because the Spirit of God dwells inside of us. We're clean, folks, because God says so. God says you're clean. You're clean. You're clean. You put your faith in my son. You're clean. I don't care what you've ate or where you've been or what you've drank or how much drugs you've done or any of that stuff. You're clean if you put your faith in my son. That's the whole basis of holiness completely changed. Now, we come to today's passage, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. Thirty years have gone by. Thirty years have passed since he went to Cornelius' house. And he sits down somewhere, and of course I don't know where he was, but he sits down to write a letter. And in this letter, he's going to call his readers to a life of holiness. Let's read those verses again. As obedient children, he writes, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Remember, I asked this question earlier. How are we to be holy? And I said, let's stop for a minute and let's come back. And let's pick up this, we'll pick this question back up. How are we to be holy? Peter points out five things. Five things. Number one, you must be called. Okay? Unbelievers cannot be holy. You have to be called. Look what he said in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. See, this is the new birth. This is regeneration. This is being born again. God opens our eyes. He opens our ears so that we can see the truth. We can see the beauty of, of holiness. We want to be holy. We want to be like God. We can never do that without the indwelling of the Spirit, without becoming a new person. So the first thing you got to do is be called. Once you're called, you are now a child of God. That's what he said in verse 14. As obedient, what? Children. 
You see, in this new birth, we receive a new nature. We are like God in that sense. His blood runs through our veins now. We are children of God. That changes everything. As children of God, we now get new sight. Look what Peter says in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See, we're no longer ignorant. What does the song say? I once was blind, but now I see. I was blind. I was ignorant. I had no clue what was going on. But now, because I've been called, I've been made a child of God, my eyes have been opened, my ears are open. I can see the truth now. See, the new birth changes everything. We can see clearly. We can hear clearly. We can understand truth. We, we can value holiness. Somebody that doesn't know God has no clue what, what it means to be holy. Don't even care. It's all just about following rules. I want to know true holiness. I don't, I don't want to just follow the rules. The fourth thing, and this is the most important, you are called, born again. You are now a child of God. Your eyes and ears have been opened, but here's the most important part. You have been given new desires. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I'll read a couple other translations. The NIV says this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. The NASB says, obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust. Listen, this is an unbelievable truth right here, if you'll hear it. Every human being on this planet is mastered by their desires. Listen to me now. Every human being without exception on this planet is mastered by their desires. Now that may seem strange to you, but that is exactly what happens. Listen to some of these, these scriptures. Romans 1, 21 to 25. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity. See, what God says, if you don't, you don't want to follow me, you don't want to love me, you don't want to obey me, okay, I'll take my hands off. You go do what you want to do. And see, the lust of their heart leads them to impurity to dishonor their, their bodies among themselves. By the way, don't look at that as them. That was us. Ephesians 2, 3 says this, "...among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind." That's what you do. You go through life living in... That's your whole life. You're carrying out the passions, the desires, your wants, in your mind, in your heart. That's what drives you. It may be four-wheelers, it may be hunting, it may be fishing, it may be money, it may be a lot of things, but it ain't God. And it's driving you in your life. Read Ephesians four seventeen through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles or unbelievers do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, what these verses are saying, although God has created men and women, and all of creation bears witness, you cannot walk outside, look at, look at the creation, 
how beautiful it is, how awesome it is. And how can you go out there and think there's no God? I've said it a million times. Look at your body. You think this crawled out of some primordial sloughs? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But that's what people do. And they choose to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And because of this, God gives them up and says, okay, you go fulfill your desires. What's in the deepest part of your heart, you let that drive you. And in pursuit of these desires, men's and, men and women's minds are corrupted. They're corrupted. They're mastered and enslaved by their own lust. And they can, their whole lives conform to that. Here's the thing. This is unbelievable what the Bible says. The Bible says the end of a life like that is that you become animals. You literally become an animal. Listen to 2 Peter 2, 12-13. But these, and this is talking about men and women, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. You literally become like an animal. You're just driven by your lust. You're driven by your desires. You're driven by your impulses. That's what animals are driven by. You're not recognizing God. That's, that's what unbelievers do. But look at Ephesians 4. This is Paul. Paul says, but that's not you. That's not the way you learn Christ. He goes on and says, you are to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is what? Corrupt through deceitful desires. That's who you were. That's not who you are anymore. See, now you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, what God has done in the new birth, He's given you new desires. What a principle this is. Listen, what He's doing here, He's distinguishing our former desires and our ignorance before we were born again to the desires that we should have today. They should be completely different. See, th those desires once dominated us. They enslaved us, but they're in the past. They don't enslave me anymore. They have been replaced by new desires. I want to follow God. I want to be like God. I want to know the truth. I, I want to honor Him. Those are new desires. See, guys, this is what holiness is all about. Not just doing what God wants on the outside, but loving what God loves on the inside and hating what God hates on the inside. See, it's not a, the Pharisees thought it was all about washing hands. Jesus said, no, it's about washing your heart. Wash your heart. It's on the inside. The outside is just, it's just rules. Let me tell you, it, remember we went back to Leviticus? It was never enough for the Israelites just to follow the rules. They were supposed to come to love what God loved, hate what God hated. Listen, the same is exactly true for you and I. When I, we talk about holiness, please don't think it's just about following rules. It's about having a heart that loves God. We are to delight in what God finds delightful. We are to hate what God hates. We are to be conformed. By the way, every person is going to be conformed by your desires. The question is, are you being conformed by your old desires? Or are you going to be conformed to holiness by your new desires? That's the question. See, when we understand that truth, it's so practical. Let me say this. You are not nearly as likely to participate in a behavior that you find detestable. Are you with me? If your heart changes where you think, man, I, I can't stand that, why would I walk over there and do it? See, let him change your heart. And then the, what, guess what happens? The outside just comes with it. Philippians uh, 2... 
13, I believe. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. You see them two words, in and out. God works in, you work it out. Let God change your heart and the outside comes with it. See, this is what this holiness is all about. Now, how do we do that? Give me some steps, Derek. Everybody wants steps, right? Give me something I need to do. All right, I'm going to give you something. The most important thing I'll ever say right here. Remember last week's lesson. All the details of the Christian life, I don't care if it's your marriage, I don't care if it's forgiveness, I don't care if it's hope, I don't care if it's holiness, all the details spring from a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's always the main thing. Holiness is not the way to Jesus. Jesus is the way to holiness. Let me say that again. Holiness is not a way to get to Jesus. Find Jesus and then you'll find your way to holiness. He comes first. A relationship with Him is first. He'll work out the holiness. He'll take care of that, trust me. Look for Him. Find Him. Serve Him. Honor Him. You don't got to worry about the rules. He'll take care of that. Because once what's in the heart comes out. Out of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the heart the, the, the body acts. Change your heart. We're called. We become children of God. We've got new sight, new desires. And the end result of all that is holy conduct or holy behavior. First Peter 1.15 As he who called you is holy, you also be called holy in, what's that word? All your conduct. Let me tell you, that's every aspect. You cannot compartmentalize holiness into the church day. I'm going to be holy on Sunday. Monday I'll do what I want to do. That's not holiness. Holiness is a lifestyle. Holiness is a way of life. Holiness is a worldview. Holiness drives all your conduct. At work, at school, when you're by yourself in front of your computer, you're holy. You don't compartmentalize it into a religious part of your life. Why? Because it's in your heart. It's who you are. It's not just rules you follow on the outside. It becomes a part of your very person. And who you are goes with you wherever you go. See, as God's children, you and I need to get in the, in the habit of, of what's God's Word say and then just obey it. It shouldn't be rocket science. And let me tell you, that's not legalism. That characterizes a person who loves and honors Jesus Christ. I want to I honor Him because I love Him. And He loves me. And I, I want to do what honors Him. Now... Next week, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to pick a subject that's very practical. And, it has, and I'm doing this for two reasons. Number one, because it's a question that we should all consider when it comes to holiness. The other reason I'm doing it is because I'm seeing a trend that I need to address. Next week, should a Christian drink alcohol? Should a Christian drink alcohol? We're just going to stop and say, okay, I want to be holy, God. What does the Bible say about that? And then we'll move on with First Peter. Let's pray.